Well, as you know, we've been looking at recently, as we've met, looking at problem passages made plain. And we reached another one. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. So I'd like to refer to Hebrews chapter 6 with me. Many people, and there are quite a lot of Christians who think that from these verses, it teaches that you can lose your salvation. No, that's not true. Because that's impossible. Mm-hmm. So in chapter 6, I'm reading from verses 4 to 12. Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 12. I'll give you a moment to find it. As in all our understanding of scriptures, the context is what is important. The context gets it correct. So as we look at the letter to the Hebrews, exactly what that is, is clearly a letter to Jewish people, people of Israel. So that's the background of this whole letter, and especially this little section, Hebrews chapter 6, and also chapter 10. We won't get through to that tonight. But let's read Hebrews 6, from verses 4 through to 12. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain, it often comes upon it, and bears the herbs and useful for those for whom it is cultivated, receive the blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The author, maybe Paul, we don't know, the author is writing to two different groups of people here. That's important. In verses 4 through to 8, he's clearly referring to those who are not believers. And in contrast, verses 9 through to 12, he's writing to those who are believers. Now that's important to get that right. Now let's try and split these verses 4 to 6 down particularly. You've got in verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Now what does that mean? Now, the whole clue to this, of course, is it is a letter to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. That is the essential background. Now Israel, if you know Old Testament history, I expect you do, Israel had the revelation of God in the Old Testament, a great deal of it, the names of God, 
revelation of himself, his character, his dealings with Israel, and they became familiar with that revelation. Now when Jesus came as their Messiah, as our Redeemer and Saviour, John says he came to his own, but his own people, Israel, refused to receive him as a nation, especially the religious rulers. That's in John 1 verses 9 to 11. We needn't turn to that. So clearly we found that right through the history of Israel and the warnings of the prophets as well, Israel were a stiff-necked people, hard-hearted, the prophets said so, and they rejected the revelation of God. And they were sent into exile for their misdemeanors and their idolatries, you know, on two occasions. And in other words, Israel as a nation, and this is a background to the Hebrews, Israel as a nation stood away, stood aloof. When Jesus came, they rejected him. Matthew 12 and 13, we have a lot to say about that. And they rejected him as a nation, apart from a few, as we know. And especially the religious rulers rejected him, as you know that. So Israel, as a generalization, stood away from Jesus and the revelation of God's truth with hard-heartedness, stiff-necked ways, and God was very angry about it. And when Jesus came, they stood away from the gospel, what he revealed, what he taught about himself, what he came to do, and they rejected him on on mass, especially the religious leaders. You see, they had some knowledge in the Old Testament times of the revelation of God. But to have that knowledge so far, when it came to what Jesus said and did, even his miracles and his teaching, and who he was in his person, and what he said, what happened to him, suffering, death, resurrection, and so on, at the hands of wicked men, they were completely rejected his claims to be Messiah. They expected Messiah to be a ruling king and drive the Romans up. That is why he came, as we know. So, in other words, what actually happened was, through the Old Testament, increasingly so, they abandoned the revelation of God. And that's what these people were doing in verses 4 to 6. They were Jewish people, through their heritage, had abandoned the revelation of God and held back from God's revelation and they held back from any claims of Jesus they had upon their lives in the Gospel. They hardened their heart, they rejected it. And you see, they were once enlightened as a nation of Israel. That's such a revelation of God's character, his nature, his dealings with them through the Old Testament. When Jesus came, he proclaimed himself as the Messiah. But they rejected him. In other words, they abandoned the revelation of God through the Old Testament, largely speaking, and when Jesus came too. We know that. But they were once enlightened with the revelation in the Old Testament, and they passed it on as they were told to, to the children, children's children, and so on, through the generations. But they hardened their heart, they were stiff-necked, they were rebellious against God's claims and demands on their lives. They rejected him. They were once enlightened, but they turned away from the revelation of God in Jesus particularly. They hardened their hearts and said, no, away with this man, we'll not have him to rule over us. Now look at the next section in the same verse. They tasted the heavenly gift. Now, people get <coughs> upset about that. They think that taste means to swallow and take it all in. You know, it doesn't mean that. 
If you taste something without taking it in, you know what the taste is, you know what the substance is, you know what it tastes like. But you may not eat it. You may just taste and say no. Now these people have heard what Jesus said. They watched his miracles, many of them, in Galilee and down around Jerusalem, where he had most opposition. He taught, he raised up his disciples, we know that. He'd been working, he'd been doing miraculous things, which is in fulfillment of Isaiah 35, way back in the Old Testament. He came to cleanse the leper, give sight to the blind, to give hearing to the deaf, to drive out demons, raise the dead. Which is exactly what Isaiah 35 says. He was fulfilling the Messianic credentials, proving himself who he was. Now when we looked at Matthew 12 some time ago, the religious leaders rejected him. They accused him when he healed the man who was deaf and who was dumb. And he healed him. They knew that was what the Messiah would do when he came. Jesus proved himself as the Messiah. But they deliberately rejected that revelation. They knew Isaiah 35 must have done as religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, doctors of the law and so on, and the chief priests. They must have known this in their own scriptures. But they rejected him. And Jesus said, his rejection of the Messiah, Son of God, in the flesh, and rejecting him was the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. No other generation would do that because it was Jesus in the flesh, proving himself as a Jewish Messiah right there in the body. And they heard him, they saw him, what he did, and they still rejected him. Jesus said, that's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is said against me will be forgiven. But when you resist the Holy Spirit and reject what the Holy Spirit is working in you, no more chance. You don't get any other reference. Remember when Pharaoh said he would release the Hebrews to wipe several times and the end he hardened his heart and then God hardened his heart and they couldn't do it. So he rescued them through the death of the firstborn. You know that. Jesus had been amongst them. He'd been doing his teaching and the miracles. They knew who he was. And when you come through to John chapter 6, you didn't turn to it because you know it. Jesus had fed the 5,000 with a lot left over. And Jesus said, I'm the bread from heaven. You know that from John 6. And Jesus the Messiah blessed people, blessed his own people. And his own people received him not. John chapter 1, you know that. He blessed Israel with his presence as a Jewish Messiah, clearly who he was. But the leadership rejected him and they influenced the people to do the same, apart from a few. They rejected him. Why? They wanted to stay back under the law and the temple worship. Of course, that was destroyed in the 70s, you know. So, if you're right, they tasted the heavenly gift. They knew Jesus had come. He had fulfilled his messianic credentials. He spoke about him going to his death and being raised again the third day. You know that. He told the people that. They tasted what he said, what he did. They understood, they saw. They knew, but they didn't pursue it by eating him the bread of heaven. For John 6, those who eat my body, bread, drink my blood, the wine, you know, you know, don't do it. But it's impossible to restore such people like that. Now in John, I like to look in John chapter 10, if you will. To go back there for a moment in John chapter 10. The good shepherd, you know it. 
Go back to John chapter 10 with me. Jesus is speaking about him being the good shepherd, as you know, and he knows his sheep and they follow him. But right at the beginning of John chapter 10, look at verse 1. John chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus is speaking of himself as being the true shepherd. But chapter 10, verse 1 of John. Most assuredly, I say to he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, and he's the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Here it is. <clears throat> That's what the religious leaders tried to do, and get the people to do the same, get to God by another way. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You don't come to the Father except by me. But these people try to come to God by another way, perhaps through the law, or worship in the temple, whatever it may be, and they rejected the way of Jesus. They knew what to believe or they didn't. Go down to verse 7 and verse 8 while we're there. Jesus said to them again, the people, verse 7, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, religious leaders, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. No, they wouldn't. The true followers of Jesus wouldn't. I'm the door. You don't come by any other way. Everyone tries to get into heaven by another way. It's a thief and a robber. They don't get there. You can't climb up by a wall. That's what that means. Go back with me, please, to Matthew 15, while we're looking into the scriptures, please. Matthew 15. And look at verses 12 through to 14. Not only is the context of what I'm saying, these are people who are rebelling against God who will not come the way of Jesus. 4 to 6 in Hebrews. Bear that in mind still. Matthew 15, look from verse 12. Disciples came and said to him, Jesus, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying, what he said before? But Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Hmm. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leaves the blind, both fall into the ditch. In other words, they are misleading the people with false teaching. (coughs) These are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Pharisees, scribes, chief priests, you know them. And he said, if my father hasn't planted them, I'm going to uproot them, because they're not mine. They're the blind, and they lead the blind. And they're both four. Mm. So these people have tasted the heavenly gift, yes. Now, we haven't looked at, had time to look at Hebrews chapter 10 tonight, but I'd like you to turn to it nevertheless. Back to Hebrews again, please. We won't have time to look at Hebrews 10, but it's very similar. Maybe next time. In Hebrews chapter 10, we are. Hebrews chapter 10. Just a few verses from 26 through to 29. Hebrews 10, 26. And this is the same applies to those people the author refers to in Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, which they did in Jesus' day, 
they no longer remain a sacrifice for sins because they don't see Jesus as a sacrifice but a certain fearful expectation of judgment that's what Israel had in the past and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries anyone who rejected Moses the Lord does without mercy dies without mercy on the testament of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who trampled the Son of God underfoot and they did come to the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace grieved the Holy Spirit quenched him more than that they resisted him and no one can be saved when they've done that similar to Hebrews 6 now go back to Hebrews 6 with me again would you there's another little section there look in verse 4 again we looked at the enlightenment we looked at tasting the heavenly gift which was Jesus and they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit now people really tremble over, trip over this one partakers of the Holy Spirit what does that mean well take a contrast when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born as in Acts chapter 2 there's a tremendous response to Jesus and Peter's preaching 3,000 people were saved on the same day among the Jewish people coming in at that particular feast of Pentecost. A few days after that, another 5,000 Jewish people were saved. And they became, if you like, the Jewish church at the beginning. So they responded eagerly, willingly. They took it on board. They were convicted of the truth and responded to it and were saved. And they were in the church, as you know. They truly received the Holy Spirit's conviction, his ministry his enlightenment and they responded to it that's the key but here we have the resistance to the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12 we found that I discussed it but in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 I'd like you to go back to there for a moment because it's the, the witness of Stephen relating the history of Israel actually and for that he was stoned, as you know. Acts chapter 7, this one verse, and that pictured Israel as a whole people, largely, of the Old Testament, and right up to this time of Jesus, and of course since. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, please. Verse 51. This is the testimony of Stephen. This is what he said about these people, Israel. You stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart might have been circumcised in body but they were not <coughs> circumcised in heart and ears they weren't open in their heart and their will or their hearing they rejected the stiff neck they shut their ears you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so to you wow it says that you see in one sense they'd heard the gospel they knew the Holy Spirit was working in them with conviction but they said no we will not have Jesus we want to stay with the Jewish religion we want to go back under the law well that you fail in that anyway they would not have Jesus and be free Jesus said I come indeed to make you free and to give you abundant life and they refused it 
They knew the Holy Spirit's work. In Acts 2, thousands responded and were saved. These were stiff-necked, hard-hearted, both in the heart and their will, like an uncircumcised Gentile. Wow! And they, when they were hearing, we read in the back of the Old Testament, they shut their ears. They wouldn't hear what the prophet said. They wouldn't hear what Jesus said. There. They knew the Holy Spirit working in their lives, but they rebelled, hardened their heart, mm-hmm. like an uncircumcised Gentile. <coughs> That's what happened there. The word in the Greek, made partakers, means having no lasting effect. It might have been temporary, but the ones in Acts 2, there was a lasting effect which brought them to salvation. But the partakers here, they'd heard. I'm sorry, it's not a good word, partakers. I don't know why they put it in. But it means to have no lasting effect. It's like the parable of the sower, yeah? On the stones, when the seed was sown, it bounced off. Or in the little crack, didn't last long. Dried and withered. No good. They resisted it. had no lasting effect which would bring them to salvation. <clears throat> There's uh, a word in the Greek. I'll tell you what it is. It's metatokos. Don't spell it. But in Colossians chapter 1 the word used for partake let's go to Colossians 1. Go Leave Acts for the moment and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And look at verse 12. Obviously right into Christians. And we as believers, as Paul encouraged these Colossian Christians to do, Colossians 1 verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's salvation. We've thoroughly received, thoroughly involved, thoroughly committed ourselves and received so much. It's a different word. Word metatokos is in a sense not being willing to move on when you've heard they rejected it. But here, believers say we're partakers, we've been involved We've taken part. we received Christ. We belong to him. We walk with him. We're partakers of everything that God wanted in our inheritance future. Let alone his blessings now. That's Colossians chapter 1. Go on to the later in the New Testament, the Second Peter, please. Second Peter chapter 1. You get something very similar. It's a different word. Metatokos it's a different word to what we read in Colossians 1 verse 12 and in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 I've got the word partaker again 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 I'll let you find it verse 3 says we have his divine power it moves on by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises as believers that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. That's the different word. That's a thorough involvement. We received 
It's like a marriage, giving oneself to the other, to the partners in marriage, husband and wife. Partaking, taking part, receiving, fully involved, being grafted in, if you like, rooted in Christ. That's what that means. We partake of the divine nature, Christ growing in us. That's so different from the other word, metatokos. As, in a sense, something quite different. That's unfortunate, isn't it? Has no lasting effect. And that is unfortunately what uh, it is. Now, this word partakers also has another meaning in the Hebrew 6. It means companions. They were alongside. You see, Jesus had many disciples. But a lot of people that stood at a distance, listened to him, but they never became involved. They were just watchers on. They were companions of all the people that came to listen to him or watch him. But they were never really his. They were at a distance, kept themselves away from him. They were just companions of the group who just simply wandered. Well, they treated him like a circus performer. Well, what are we going to do today? No. They, in a sense, were like companions. There was an external attachment, but never an involvement. That's what that means. Partaking of the Holy Spirit in a wrong sense of the word. Stiff-necked. A different word. Not fully receiving. Standing at a distance. Just watching on. Which is what the people did. But they never got involved. Therefore they were unsaved and stayed that way. Now look in verse 5. Going back to Hebrews again. If you will flip back a few pages. In that Hebrews 6 again, there's another section. We look at, once enlightened, taste of the heavenly gift, partake of the Holy Spirit, and here's another one in verse 5 of Hebrews 6. Verse 5. They have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Let's see what the first, the good word of God. Well, they had that in the Old Testament, didn't they? They had the revelation of God. It was his good word. His revelation of himself, his character, his purposes, his plans, everything else for Israel. And, of course, the prophecies concerning Jesus' coming and our salvation too. They had, in that sense, God had given Israel so much and they rejected it. And I could do it for Romans. Go back to Romans. See what God did for Israel. In Romans 9, go back to Romans 9, let you find it, I'll find it myself. Romans chapter 9, these three chapters, 9, 10, 11, about Israel. Chapter 9, Israel in the past, chapter 10, Israel in the present, chapter 11, Israel in the future. So we want chapter 9, verse 4, of Israel in the past. Chapter 9 of, he, of uh, Romans, Romans chapter 9, and verse 4. Let's have a look at that. This is what God did for Israel in the past. They're Israelites, yes. To whom pertain or were given the adoption, the glory, revelation of his glory, the covenants, yes, of course, the giving of the law, yes, the service of God, they were called to serve him, and all the promises of God, especially the coming of Messiah. God had given them all that. They had the good word of God. 
That's what it says. They had the good word of God. They didn't taste it. They knew what the revelation was. Yet they shut their ears, hardened their hearts, wouldn't have anything to do with it. And of course they were sent to exile twice. The nation of Israel had the sufficient word of God in the Old Testament. Now do you remember when Philip was called to leave a revival up there in the north and to travel all the way down to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, the Queen's treasure, down in the desert area? He went all the way down there. And this man was in his chariot. He'd been to the temple, no doubt. And I dare say they might have been reading Isaiah 53 because he had Isaiah 53 opened up. And Philip joined him, as you know, you know that in Acts 8. And he said to Philip, who is this person? What's it all about? So Jesus used Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament to explain that this is the death of Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, taken away the sin of the world and been raised again. And of course, a man believed on Isaiah 53 and he was saved. They didn't have the New Testament in the Acts of the Apostles when Paul went on his missionary journeys. And others. They didn't have the New Testament. They preached from the Old Testament of who Jesus was, prophesied. See, they tasted the good word of God and they rejected it, largely speaking. People heard the gospel. But why are you in Hebrews? Well, let's go, sorry, we're in Romans 9. Remember, go back to Hebrews again, but chapter 4 this time. Hebrews 4. And look at the second verse. Hebrews 4 and verse 2. Hebrews 4, verse 2. See, the people heard the gospel, but there was no profit to them. Because they didn't respond to it. Oh, Jesus didn't do what we wanted him to do. No, he wanted them to do what he wanted them to do but they wouldn't do it Hebrews 4 and verse 2 for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them unbelieving but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith that's the point isn't it to those who heard it there's no faith that's what triggers everything off isn't it People are saved by faith and hearing the word. So they knew that God had given them the word and in the Old Testament and what Jesus said, they tasted it. They didn't swallow it. They didn't take it in like the bread. They just tasted it. Oh, we just heard this little bit about him. We heard, we knew, oh, I don't want that. No, I won't go that way. And they resisted. They heard the good word of God. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, look at the next section. The powers of the world to come. Powers of the world to come. It's in the same verse. Verse 5. Taste of the good word of God, Old Testament. And the powers of the age to come. What does that mean? Well, the millennial age of Christ's reign and rule for a thousand years is mentioned many times in the Old Testament, Isaiah in particular. That's the Old Testament. It's foreshadowed in the Old Testament, made plain in the New as we know that. And of course in what Jesus said and taught. You know that. Remember the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, thy kingdom come, the millennium. Jesus taught it plainly. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it will be in heaven, and is in heaven. But they wouldn't receive it. 
They saw the miracles that Jesus did, cleansing the leper, healing many who were sick, casting out demons, sight to the blind, deaf to hear, those who couldn't hear, it was deaf people. They saw all that, but miracles don't change people. Miracles do not. People saw the miracles. They remained untouched. It was just like a social form. What is it going to do today? I wonder. Let's follow and see. That's what it was. Generally from the people at large. They heard his teaching. The kingdom will come. Powers of the age to come. That's not just heaven. The age means here. The millennium. And his judgment to follow, of course. No, these people forsook the only way of salvation. The only way. They refused him. They refused all the evidence that they were faced with. They hardened themselves against it. People have no chance if they continue that way. No chance. I'd like you, please, if we'll go back to Deuteronomy, of all places. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. There's a little section there I'll read from verse 19. Deuteronomy 1, verse 19. This is where Israel was challenged to go into Canaan, their promised land, their inheritance. They had all the evidence to go in. Remember when they went in, the scouts, the spies went in, they came out with this huge bunch of grapes and it took two men to carry it from their Eshkol. And all the evidence to go in, in a land full of plants, it's full of milk and honey and plentiful, everything is there for you. And they saw the giants in the land. And ten of them said, no, we can't go in. We won't go in. We're afraid of them. They'll beat us, these giants. No, we won't go. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, by faith we can go in because God has told us to go. Only two. And there were only two of that generation to go into Canaan. The rest died under God's judgment in the wilderness. Only those under 20 went into Canaan. The rest died. Even when they murmured against God, God sent his servants to bite them. Many died, and they were called to look on the bronze serpent, and God healed them by the look. Nothing in the bronze serpent. They had had so much evidence what God spoke to them and said to them, and they rejected it. They forsook the only way. 19 to 26 then. So we departed from Horeb, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which we saw, on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. That's the, that's the crisis. And I said to you, right Moses, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Everyone who come near, come near to me and say, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back a word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the big cities into which we shall come. 
and the plan pleased me well. And I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed, went up into the mountains, and came to the valley of Eshkol, and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands, and brought it down to us, and brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hates us, how wrong they were. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying that people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up the heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim. And then I see they just abandon the thought of going in. They looked around them. And what they saw and didn't believe by faith what God promised that land to enter in. And Hebrews says they were not allowed to enter into that land because of their rebellion and disobedience. Miracles don't change anybody. They saw the Lord provide water and manna, so it guided them, pillar of fire and cloud guided them throughout. The Lord spoke through his leadership. They didn't go on. That generation died in the wilderness. And then it says, if you look, sorry, go back to Hebrews again, we'll carry on. Coming on our way now. In Hebrews chapter 6, there's a next section. In verse 6, verse 6, if they fall away. Now, I'm sorry, that's a, not as. Often the word if in the Bible is not the word if at all. It's either as, could be as, or since. Or since, yes. <coughs> since they fall away, or as they fall away, and this is what they did. As they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, as they can't do, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. They were crucify in the Greek means to crucify up. They were willing to hang him up on the cross again. Which is what the original leaders did do. With the Romans, of course. They couldn't kill anybody, the Israelites, the people of Israel. Romans had to do it. If they should fall away, Israel fell away. Look what we just read at Kadesh Barnea. They had the evidence of the, of the fruitfulness of the land, the huge bunch of grapes it took two men to carry. In fact, it's a sign of the Israeli tourist board, if you know it. A huge bunch of grapes carried by two men. If they should fall away, Israel did fall away. So frequently, the prophet spoke so much about it. And Israel was sent away, Judah was sent away into exile twice. Evident in their Old Testament history, it's plain all there, written for us. And then there was this generation, this is Matthew 12 again, the generation that witnessed the presence of the Son of God, remember that. He's Messiah, but he's God the Son. God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He's the God-man. The man Christ Jesus. But he's the God-man. He was in their presence all those years, but he's rejected, and they were judged by God. 
written verse 8 of Hebrews 6 again you see you can see for example in verse 7 just go back there the earth drinks in the rain there often comes upon it and bears useful what is cultivated for receives a blessing from God but on contrast if it bears thorns and briars it's rejected and near to being burned whose end is to be burned that's the other side that's where they were it's more than just apostasy <coughs> you could call that today certain apostate of those who stand away from the truth and want their own way to salvation it doesn't work just like religiously with Jesus today now he was rejected the people were judged by God what happened in AD 70 the whole land was destroyed temple and Jerusalem completely raised to the ground 1,100,000 Jews were killed the blood ran through the streets temples burned down gold ran between the stones people who were killed were taken away as slaves you couldn't even sell a slave there were so many because they rejected him God is angry with sin we tend to forget that today we don't but it's not preached much so Israel did fall away Old Testament, yeah. The generation that witnessed the presence of God rejected him and they were judged by God. We're in Second Peter just now. Would you go back there to Second Peter, this time chapter 2. Second Peter 2, just a few pages further on. Second Peter chapter 2. I know we're looking at a lot, but I want to cover this little section tonight. Second Peter chapter 2 this time. And look at the first three verses of chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring themselves such destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not it's a word there I can't see it yeah that's what happens to the apostates in our day and in the future those who reject the way of truth the apostates will remain there today. Go out of description of what's happening in cathedrals today in churches. What a disgrace. We're called to preach the gospel, teach all nations and make disciples. That's what Jesus' great commission and command was. Hmm. I'd like you to go back to Isaiah now, please. Come towards an end. Isaiah chapter 5. It's good to dash around the scriptures connecting scriptures Isaiah chapter 5 this is where the Lord called Israel to be his people and he called them a vineyard and Jesus speaks of Israel being a vineyard in the gospels too in Isaiah chapter 5 we look at verses 2 to 7 and I'll read those 2 to 7 Isaiah 5 this is what the Lord did for Israel He dug it up, cleared out the stones, planted it with 
Choice is fine. He built a tower in its midst out to protect it. Also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard, the Lord speaking. What more could have been done in my vineyard, but I have not done it, that I have not done? Why then do I expect it being bring forth good grapes, but did bring forth wild grapes? Now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it shall be burned, break down the wall, it shall be trampled down, and so on. I will lay it waste. That's what the Lord did with Israel on three occasions. Under the Assyrians, Babylonians, and the Romans. Because they rejected their God. But time is pressing on. But in Hebrews chapter 6, just to finally, I think it's time to finish. Hebrews chapter 6, once again please. Those verses that I read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, cannot apply to Christians. Now that's important. These words are addressed to unbelieving Jewish people. That's very clear. Both in the Old Testament, way back in history, we read in Isaiah 5 what would happen to them, and also even in the church age now. Some Jewish people are getting saved, of course, we know that. Now think of Peter. When Peter denied Jesus and he wept bitterly and the cock crowed three times. And he sung so low, didn't he? But Jesus restored him and he became an apostle, a servant of the Lord on missionary journeys and wrote these two letters. He was restored because he came to Jesus. Remember on the time of the resurrection in John 21? When they said, it is the Lord. Peter ran out of the boat, straight up there. And he didn't even have any clothes on. He ran straight up to Jesus. Wanting to be restored. And the Lord restored him. He denied him three times. He said, do you love me three times? And Peter said, yes. He was, just <clears throat> he was restored to be an apostle. Because he responded. Even after a dismal failure. This one never did. There's still an unbelief today and God has put a blindness on them until he comes again. So this cannot be, these two verses, four to six, cannot apply to believers. They are addressed to unbelieving Israel in the Old Testament as well and in the church age. We know about Peter. In fact, if we look at verses nine to twelve very, very quickly, It's a false assumption that believers can fall away and be lost. Those verses 4 to 6 applies to the unsaved, Jewish people in particular. We can't fall away because Jesus keeps us. We can trip up like Peter did, but be restored in the Lord's time. In Hebrews 6, 9 to 10, look at the difference. Here the author is writing to Christians. We'll close with this. But, beloved, well, addressed to believers, we are confident of better things than those 
concerning you. There are things that accompany salvation. You're already saved, aren't the others? You are already saved. Things are, you've got to grow. You serve. Things that accompany salvation. Though we speak of this matter. For God is not unjust to forget your work. The Lord knows you're serving him. And your labour of love. Which you have towards his name. Followers of Jesus. In that you have ministered to the saints. And you do minister. You continue on. And we desire that each one of you. Show the same diligence. Carefulness. To the full assurance of hope to the end. Full assurance of hope. That's what we got. Mm-hmm. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Right into believers there, isn't it? Contrast to verses 4 and 6, 9 to 12 or through to believers. There's a contrast. I could give you quite a bit more, but I think we will leave it there. Thank you, John. Bless you. Rather a lot, I know. There's more to say, but I'll leave it. Thank you. A Q&A for Don. Questions and answers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any questions for Don at that time.